Welcome. It's 11 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. And thank you for joining us for the 126th episode of the Rock and Roll Shrink Radio Show here on Blog Talk Radio. Special thanks to our host, NDB Media. I'm Casey Shapiro, and with me tonight is Dr. Stephen Mathis, a.k.a. the Rock and Roll Shrink. We will be taking calls from our listeners all evening during the show at 914-338-0314. You can also follow along in our live chat room on blogtalkradio.com as the show is happening. Before we begin, a couple quick disclaimers. This show does not constitute a doctor-client relationship, nor legal or medical representation of any kind. Also, the views expressed on this show are those of Dr. Mathis and Ms. Shapiro, and are not an official stance on behalf of the psychological community or its peer vetting or regulatory bodies. And now, a topic-relevant bit of music played by Dr. Mathis himself. Take it away, Doc.
always, thank you very much for that. And if you don't mind, let the maybe five people in the world who wouldn't recognize that tune <laughs> know what the name of the song is and the artist and its relevance to tonight's topic. Yeah, if you don't know that song, you're probably uh, <clears throat> more than under a rock or, you know, six months old. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was Time by Pink Floyd. Uh Play through a profile of one of David Gilmore's amps. So there you go. <laughs> oh, yes. And uh, hopefully I have talked Dr. Mathis one of these shows into doing a trivia on the contraption that he used to do that profile because it was really spot on and a lot of fun. Um, so as Dr. Mathis mentions, tonight's episode is entitled Time, Dealing with DST, as in Daylight Saving Time, with a nod to Pink Floyd, of course, and we will discuss that in a moment. Before we begin that discussion, though, let's first go to the Rock and Roll Shrink Recalls, a moment of rock music trivia stories as recounted by Dr. Mathis, if you would, sir. So I have a a particularly deep-cut trivia this evening. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the history of the Associated Independent Recording Company, typically known as AIR, uh, and I suspect nobody in the listening audience has probably heard of that unless you're a real music nerd. Uh, But it was a recording uh, company that you don't know of that was started actually in 65 in London, but you probably know the man who started it, Sir George Martin. Ah, who, of okay. course, was the Beatles. Yeah, was often you know, known as the quote-unquote fifth Beatle. Uh, and that was before he was knighted. <laughs> and he and his business partner, John Burgess, st- after they were uh, employed by Parlophone uh, Records. And when, when they left Parlophone, they set up their own recording studio. And originally, uh, the, the studio complex itself, uh, the building, they started in 1969, uh, and it was called Air Studios, and it opened in officially for business in 70 on Oxford Street in London. And uh, they had several studios there and a programming room and uh, a couple of small studios and a couple of large studios, which is typical for recording studios for folks who know anything in it. And uh, one of the things that I love about that is it had one of my favorite concert grand pianos, a Bosendorfer, in it. Uh, actually, they had two Bosendorfers in it and soundproof rooms and these humongous 56-channel mixing consoles. And uh, they were both uh, custom-designed by Robert Neve, uh, who most people know, if you know anything about music, is like the god of mixer boards. And he's also British, obviously. And he, his mixer board uh, adorned the console, was the console for um, the, the uh, studio in L.A. Uh, that countless people used, including Nirvana and uh, Rick Springfield. And when that uh, studio can, uh, closed, um, the uh, Dave Grohl of Nirvana, and now, of course, Foo Fighters since Nirvana's demise, uh, bought the Neve console and put it in his home studio. So I'm like, wow. Uh, and back in the day, I think the uh, I think they paid uh, $70,000 for that studio. Not Air, but the, the people in L.A. Whose, whose name escapes me at the moment. 
Um, they paid like $70,000 for that thing. And in today's money, it would be a whole lot more money. In fact, when I look at some of the smaller mixer boards that the Neve company still makes, because even though Robert Neve passed away a few years ago, his company still operates and actually operates out of Texas. He, when he moved, he came to this country and set up a production line here and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, his company's still going on, and I was actually looking at potentially buying a Neve board for my my studio in Sandpoint. Uh, and when I saw the uh, the smaller studios, you know, the, the smaller console boards, like half of what I needed, uh, going for uh, you know three hundred thousand dollars, I went, nope, I don't think I'm getting a Neve. <laughs> yeah, they are not cheap. Anyway, um, they built the studio in in Oxford in London. Oxford Street in London, and then, you know, and he he'd actually, the album, he he had produced albums there, uh, including uh, the Beatles' Rubber, uh, the Rubber Soul album, uh, because his new company was called Robert, excuse me, the, the first album that was produced was produced by his company called Rubber Soul, which was after the Beatles' at record by the same name that was done at Abbey Road Studios that um, George Martin recorded out of when he wasn't doing his own thing at air. Uh, so eventually, he wanted some place that he would get inspired and decide, was looking outside of London to get out of the hustle and bustle and the crazy stuff in the music, you know, the, the cacophony of the music world. And uh, he ended up at the Caribbean island of Montserrat and fell in love with it and said, I'm going to build a studio here. And that's what he did. He went to the city of Salem or the town probably of Salem. And he lived in a home there. Uh, I think it was called uh, Overstrand House and opened the studio in mid-1979, I think. And the first record that was cut, I, you know, I poured it, flew all the boards in there and did all this kind of stuff. And it was a big, big, big production because nobody on the island, it's a pretty impoverished island. Nobody on the island had ever heard any Western music ever, you know, because it's all reggae and, you know, and Jamaican and that sort of thing. And uh, <clears throat> he, he brought all these artists in. And the first album that was cut there was the Climax Blues Band uh, record, Reel to Reel. And that was followed not too long afterwards by, uh, as I like to jokingly refer to him, Jimmy Buffet, uh, <laughs> who uh, recorded the album Volcano and the song Volcano, um, because there's a famous volcano there <laughs> on, the, on the island. And uh, Jimmy Buffett, it was kind of a joke song about the volcano thing, and so he recorded that there. And uh, I think it's the uh, Soufrea Hills Volcano. I think that's the name of it. Uh, don't quote me on that one. But there were so many famous people that came in because of George Martin's reputation with the Beatles. So uh, Dire Straits came in there and recorded uh, Brothers in Arms, which is a huge record for them. I, John came in and did three records there, three albums there. But there was everybody from those folks to the police, who I think did Synchronicity, and I think Ghost in the Machine there as well, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Ultravox, uh, Marvin Gaye, uh, Jerry Rafferty, uh, Paul McCartney did his solo stuff there, Wings recorded there, uh, the Rolling Stones, they were actually the last band to record there, uh, Black Sabbath, uh, Little River Band, uh, Duran Duran, Badfinger, Nazareth, uh, Sting, Queen, 
Mike and the Mechanics, Status Quo, Electric Light Orchestra, uh, Lou Reed, Peter Gabriel, uh, Philip Collins, uh, Peter, uh, I said Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins, oh, Michael Shanker group, that was the other group that recorded there, and of course, the ever popular, particularly with me, Eric Clapton. So the, he's had quite an, a, a cadre of folks re- record there, and his, he, had a, he had Neve consoles there also, I think there was a smaller console than the one he had on Oxford Street, um, but he had all these, you know, it was all, all this great analog stuff there. And uh, all kinds of uh, just, you know, really state-of-the-art gear. Uh, And that thing operated from 79 to 89 and would still be in operation today. And uh, the last record there was uh, Steel Wheels album, Stone's Steel Wheels album. But uh, it would still be in uh, operation today except for a little thing called Hurricane Hugo. They came oh, over no. the island and pretty much wiped it, everything out, including the studio. So that was sort of the end of the Air Montserrat studio, which was this, you know, really oasis place that George Martin had created and brought all these big name folks in and hired a lot of the locals. In fact, some of the locals came in and played percussion instruments and did like ooze and ahs and background vocals. In fact, if you've ever seen the video, the police video, uh, every little thing she does is magic, and you see all those uh, African looking. Uh, Jamaican Islander types. That's done. That that was done on the island oh, at uh, Montserrat. So those are, yeah. those are local guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and Go he ahead. had put a lot of locals and brought chefs in, and I mean it was a really really cool deal. He had he had uh, you know temporary housing on the studio because there was a bunch of buildings there, and had all the artists mm-hmm. staying there, and there was a big swimming pool. I mean it was a it was a big deal, and. Uh, the, the house that the the Olveston house that uh, uh, George Martin lived in uh, was na- is now kind of a guest house. It still operates as a guest house. It was one of the few things that wasn't totally like devastated, but the facility itself is now basically uh, ruined and and you can't go in. It's it's closed to the public. I don't know if they're ever going to come in and clean it up. Uh, and then they had another big. Uh, problem because what happened is uh, they had a uh, volcano erupted uh, years later and really, really, really wiped out the town of Salem and just devastated it. And I don't, I, you know, it's basically people come there as tourists for vacations uh, because of the tropicalness of the island and they come to stay at the house that George Martin lived in, you know, and that sort of thing. But uh, it's pretty much a, uh, it's pretty much, you know, out of the pounds. Uh, so in end, uh, Air Studios then relocated to Lyndhurst Hall and Hampstead. I think that was 1991, I think. And yeah, that's still operating. So they, uh, they because they had lost their lease, uh, whatever it was, in the previous space, and so they relocated there. And they actually uh, took over this old church. And uh, it was just... You know, it's a place just north of Hampstead, which is a, like a suburb in north London, so it's not as centrally located. But they basically took over a church, and the studio is still operating um, out of that church, uh, and, you know, o- opens and closes from time to time, but it's still, you know, going. My understanding is it's still going. And they do uh, film production uh, there and uh, post-production for movies and soundtracks and uh, movie f- music for video games and that sort of thing. 
Uh, George Martin had pretty a, a, had, as most people may or may not know, had a very uh, voluminous history. He wasn't just the Beatles. I mean, he has, as you heard some of the other artists, he did, and uh, also did sound. You know, helped with soundtracks to some of the James Bond movies. I mean, he was uh, he was a moving shaker. He was a classically trained musician, so he was he was a really amazing guy. His uh, his son Giles uh, still records and is an engineer and, and musician and recording person in his own right. He does most of the McCartney stuff these days. So uh, he's following in his father's footsteps. But I wanted to put a shout out to the Air Studios because I think those people have no idea that that even exists. And uh, I just thought it was really kind of cool. And I'm a huge George Martin freak. So, of course, I would know this. <laughs> so there you have it. Okay. All right. That was actually a really cool story. I enjoyed that very much. <laughs> So always appreciated. And again, we will take calls from our listeners and questions in the online chat room throughout the rest of the evening until around midnight. So please feel free to give us a call. Again, the number is 914-338-0314. All righty. So tonight's episode is entitled Time, Dealing with DST. Tonight's topic obviously is because of the daylight saving time, and it's not savings, guys. Pay attention. The change just happened last weekend, and as every year, many people are up in arms about it. Some of these complaints are pop culture and memes jumping on the latest bandwagon, while some of them may be legitimately problematic or harmful. It is far more politics and social commentary than it is a matter of psychology, but we'd still like to examine the phenomenon of the backlash against DST and the realities of mental health consequences it may or may not cause. So tonight we will discuss the history and purpose of DST, the purported benefits of DST, and heavy emphasis on social and mental benefits, um, mental health issues that stem from DST, and closing remarks and suggestions. And before we get started, I'm going to check in with you, Dr. Mathis, see if there's anything you want to get out of the way before we get in. Nope, I'm good to go. Thanks. All righty. So since we're all in the same time zone, let's jump right in to the history and purpose of DST, Daylight Saving Time. So I will cover a history of DST in the U.S. Since our primary focus here is the mental health aspect of it, we're not going to get into as much depth on the history beyond the basics or the political ramifications of it. I will cover the main highlights for context in our subsequent discussion. The common belief is that DST was created to help farmers working with animals who run on sunlight and not a clock. This is apparently completely untrue. A notion like DST was kicked around by Ben Franklin in 1784 and may have been his idea of a joke, but was never actually adopted, and it was left unadopted for decades afterwards. Separately, a couple of people in New Zealand and Canada also were working on such a thing. Later studies, many of which were poorly substantiated, if at all, claimed that DST helped save energy, and in World Wars One and Two, when the U.S. temporarily implemented it and then just didn't reverse it back later, it was claimed it did save energy, but later retroactive studies in the 70s found out it really hadn't. 
And also around that time, and this isn't in my notes, but I wanted to mention that most of Western Europe had been adopting it around the early 1900s and around World War I also jumped in. But then they stopped, brought it back in World War II, and then they stopped again. And it's all a big mess, and that's why I'm not getting into the history. I just wanted you guys to know it hasn't been around as long as people think, and it wasn't started for the reason people think. And that's part of this because it has a wide effect on a lot of people. And we kind of consider it this sacrosanct thing that's always been. And turns out that's bullshit. And that may be helpful. All right. So the next thing I want to read you guys is a Wall Street Journal article, Daylight Saving Waste Energy Study, says, by Justin Lehart. And this is back from 2008, but there have been studies after that that corroborate what he had to say was a 2008 study by University of California, Santa Barbara, economics professor Matthew Kotchin, and it's kind of like Kitchen with an O, and PhD student Laura Grant that was working with him, and they used data collected from Duke Energy Company for 7 million people in Indiana, but like I said, there have also been other studies that say the same thing that they found. Um, So here's their finding. Uh, Indiana was a place where only like 19 counties in the whole state hadn't switched over. So they had a nice sampling of people who did it and people who didn't. And their finding was having the entire state switch to daylight saving time each year rather than stay on standard time costs Indiana households an additional $8.6 million in electricity bills. And this was $2,008. They conclude that the reduced cost of lighting in the afternoons during daylight saving time is more than offset by the higher air conditioning costs on hot afternoons and increased heating costs on cool mornings. Quote, I've never had a paper with such a clear and unambiguous finding as this, end quote, said Mr. Cotchin, who presented the paper at a National Bureau of Economic Research conference this month in 2008. A 2007 study by economists Hendrik Wolf and Ryan Kellogg of the temporary extension of daylight saving in two Australian territories for the 2000 Summer Olympics also suggested the clock change increases energy use. During the First and Second World Wars, the U.S. temporarily enacted daylight saving time as an energy saving measure, quote unquote. Over time, most states began changing their clocks, and in response to the 1973 oil shock when Nixon was in office, The country extended daylight saving time in 1974 and 75, and by that extending, you know, what time of year it starts, what time of year it ends, they started playing with those dates on both sides. Analyzing that time shift, a 1975 report by the U.S. Department of Transportation concluded that the change reduced electricity demand by 1% in March and April. But in a 1976 report to Congress evaluating that analysis, the National Bureau of Standards concluded that there was no significant energy savings. And this almost sounds like minutia when they're getting to like, well, 1%, no percent, you know, okay, guys, that's not a huge savings, and you're upending the whole country over it. Still, the Transportation Department study stuck. Speaking before the House of Representatives in 2002, Indiana rep Julie Carson said that under daylight saving time, Indiana families would save 
quote, over 7 million annually in electricity rates alone. She had those studies to back this up. And these things are being put into law without them. And with that, I'm going to check in with you, Dr. Mathis, and see if there's anything you would like to add. No, except that's not uncommon. Uh, even today's world, we see all these uh, claims being made with nothing to back it up. So that's that's kind of become the status quo these days, particularly recently. Yes, and you know that is part of why I wanted to include these things, even though they're not psychology, because the decisions being made have mental health issues that it causes, and we're going to get Tell into me those. About in it. The- Yes, and then yes, Mister, I have a huge honk and sleep disorder that's worse than mine. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> so, that was yeah, the one about knows. which I was speaking. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So let's uh, get in real quick to the purported benefits of DST, um, heavy on social and mental aspects. And again, I acknowledge that a lot of this is not psychological data, but it's important to the concept of why people won't let it go. And I'm calling them out that the science says they should. And I want everybody to hear that, especially because it actually has come up. um, I cannot remember. I think it was the Senate recently passed a thing where they wanted to standardize it, but they're going the wrong direction. And we're going to talk about that in the show because it does have heavy mental uh, health effects and DST should be gotten rid of to mitigate them, and I'm going to explain why. The science will tell you. So this, these are the things that people claim are the benefits of having DST at all, and especially on extending it to all year. Uh, more daylight, which is completely false. People often claim we get more daylight, which is patently false. Many activities take place during extended daylight hours, but we get the same amount of it with or without the time change. And people have parlayed that into some kind of strange illusion. It's almost like the emperor's pants, you know. <laughs> you know yeah. The daylight happens. What we want to invent to measure it doesn't cause the daylight to be more. And we can change our hours around it. There's no reason we can't do that. You know, the standard we know now is only about 50 years old. We'll be fine. There's people alive who didn't even have it when they were kids. All right, next part, social businesses, partially true. And by this, I mean businesses that engage in things that are socializing, not, oh, I make a widget, but things like restaurants or places that play music or uh, recreational-type businesses. So some kinds of businesses benefit from longer daylight during certain hours. Although there's no reason that prevents businesses from holding whatever hours they want within local zoning laws. You know, the zoning laws may be a thing, but we may come to realize if we study the science that maybe we're going to have to let go of some of these hours and re-standardize in a different way. The next thing they claim is it saves energy. Oh, my God, this is so false. When this notion first came up, and by this I mean, you know, 100 years ago, Electronics, air conditioning, and similar devices did not yet exist. You know, the first vestiges of electronics, not like air conditioners in every home. So it may have been easier to believe, although studies of energy use from back then still showed it did not do this. But it was probably a little more plausible when you didn't have 
everyone with all the internet gadgets in their home and being indoors all the time and internet 24-7. It definitely uses a lot more now in our 24-7 society, and there's no turning back from that. Most of the problems that people have with the change will not be better off by making DST permanent. And I don't mean this to sound like I'm making a political rally about this. I'm just being clear because the next section is going to be the consequences. And in fact, doing so instead of eliminating it has some scientifically proven natural drawbacks that fully keeping standard time does not. Here's the big difference between daylight saving time, and I realize I put an S in there because I copied it from somewhere. I'm going to take that out of the script because that's naughty. The main difference between daylight saving time and standard time is that standard time is determined by science, whereas daylight saving time is determined by people. Time in any location is influenced by the Earth's position in relation to the sun, which is what creates the different time zones around the world. The Earth rotates on its axis about 15 degrees per 60 minutes, and each 15-degree section becomes a time zone. Standard time is the local time of any region based on what time zone it exists in. And with that, I'm going to pause and check in with you, Dr. Mathis. No, I'm good. Okay. So... Next part, and here's the big one. This is what we're here for and why we talked about the other stuff. Mental health issues that stem from DST. Why do people get so intensely testy about the time change, especially more so in spring, in a way they tend not to any other time they lose some sleep, like possible exception is jet lag maybe. So let's look at what's going on with most of us physiologically and mentally and it all may make much more sense. Okay, so one of the first things that gets damaged is routines. So with any pathologies that involve executive dysfunction, it could be ADHD, it could be uh, trauma-based things, you know, some spectrum things, spectrum disorders in general, and other conditions where coping requires a strong sense of routine. These time changes can be especially disruptive for days or even weeks. The next thing it gets affected is conditions like SAD, seasonal affective disorder, and similar disorders uh, that are directly heavily affected by sun exposure or changes in the season. These people that have these pathologies can be very sensitive to drastic changes in sunlight routine. So... Most of these pathologies, once the change starts, like anywhere from a few days up to the rest of the month, it's completely blown because of this. Sleep. This is one of the big ones. There have been new debates about our commonly assumed sleep needs, including suggesting that some of us sleep in two to three long naps chained together during the night, rising for a bit, as was more common a century or two ago. The need for this is a debate for another show, but I mention it to help show how in the United States we have a culture, including work, retail, and school subcultures, that make it difficult enough as it is to sleep adequately, and a semi-annual shift in hours disrupts an already unhealthy standard. All right, the next thing I want to read to you also about sleep, uh, this is from the website University of Texas News. 
Daylight saving time has psychological costs. Time for Texas to get rid of it. By Art Markman, and this was in February 2019. I do not know the result of the vote, but it was up for vote a couple years ago in Texas. Studies are consistent with most people's experience of the time change. The extra hour of sleep in the fall is easier to adjust to than the lost hour in the spring. Our sleep-wake cycle is governed by a circadian rhythm that is slow to shift. We notice this most when flying across time zones and trying to adapt to the new time. But the shift to daylight saving time creates a version of jet lag in which there are several days in which people get less sleep and sleep less well. This change can be particularly difficult for families with pets that do not understand why they are suddenly being fed or walked at a different time. Research on the impact of sleep deprivation demonstrates that the younger you are, the more the previous night's sleep affects the next day. Children and teens are particularly vulnerable. Even an hour less sleep can make a child or teen more irritable. The lost sleep also disrupts their ability to study and to learn effectively. So the school days after the springtime change are less efficient than the ones before the change. For older people, the effects of poor sleep are longer term. Middle-aged folks aren't necessarily much more irritable or less effective cognitively than when they have a night of bad sleep. But the worse people's overall pattern of sleep in middle age, the higher the risk they have of dementia and other cognitive problems in old age. Given all this, why the fuss over daylight saving time? The big reason is that people in the United States generally have poor sleep habits. For one thing, the circadian rhythms that govern many body functions, including the sleep-wake cycle, are influenced by the sun, but most people don't get a lot of exposure to sunlight throughout the day because of the amount of time we spend indoors. And side note for me, that's been way exacerbated by being in quarantine and work from home. All right, the next part, sleep, a 2019 survey conducted by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, AASM, an organization representing sleep scientists and clinicians, found that more than half of Americans typically feel tired after DST begins in the spring. Recently, the AASM called for abolishing DST. In a statement in the Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine, they write that the seasonal time changes should be abolished in favor of a fixed national year-round standard time. Next, other health issues, mostly during the adjustment period, which weakens our alertness and routine. Side effects of time change. The tiredness from losing an hour can be disruptive enough in itself, but for some people, springing forward may have much more serious consequences. A Swedish study found that the risk of having a heart attack increases in the first three weekdays after switching to DST in the spring. Tiredness induced by the clock change is thought to be the main cause for the increase in traffic accidents on the Monday following the start of DST. On Mondays after the start of DST, there were more workplace injuries, and the injuries were of greater severity compared to other Mondays. The start of DST has also been linked to miscarriages for in vitro fertilization patients. That's a little specific, but it points to something really scary. The other part, DST can trigger depression. 
Losing an hour of afternoon daylight after setting the clocks back to standard time can trigger mental illness, including bipolar disorder and seasonal affective disorder, SAD, also known as winter depression. A a Danish study found an 11% increase in depression cases after the time change. The cases dissipated gradually after 10 weeks. People are adjusting over time. An Australian study found that male suicide rates increased the days after the spring and fall DST shift. It happened at both of them. Parenthetically, many, if not most, of these tend to fade or stabilize within 10 weeks, but that is a long time to be badly off kilter. Also, many of these problems are not as bad when we fall back and, quote, gain an hour of sleep, but some are still attached to routine. The problem with DST over standard time, time changes disrupt the natural circadian rhythm your brain builds around the sun. Then your social and societal obligations are no longer in sync with nature. Standard time is closer to the sun's natural rhythms, and that is from an article in Psychology Today. Writing in JAMA, J-A-M-A, and that's an acronym, so it's all caps, neurology, Um, That's a journal. Professor Ann Mallow at Vanderbilt University calls switching between standard and daylight saving time, quote, bad for the brain. Going back and forth is disruptive and makes no sense, end quote. Switching time isn't like flying from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles, quote, it's more like a permanent thing where for the next eight months you're off an hour and you suffer for it, end quote. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine found that 55% of American adults feel drained and inefficient during the week or more or after switching to DST. And Dr. Mathis, I will now turn it over to you if you have anything to add. Um, other than the fact that I've hated it since day one and I wish they'd get rid of it. And, when it, and, and I have some of the same issues that these people talk about. You know, as most of our listeners probably know by now, and as you know, uh, I have a circadian rhythm sleep disorder, and moving the thing an hour, it takes my body probably two weeks to readjust, and then, of course, two weeks when they move it back. So yeah. it's just, it's it's really annoying. And from a totally natural, and I mean that in the term of nature and pragmatic mm-hmm. perspective, how the hell, you, I mean, you're not going to change the angle of the sun. You're not going to, you know, you can't add an hour. To, I mean, it's ridiculous. That's why I called, that's why I called uh, DST, SAT, stupid ass time. Because uh, <laughs> that's what I, that's what I think it is. And I've, I've hated it since day one. Absolutely despise it. Uh, it just really mucks with me. Plus the fact, and let's be honest, because I'm so myopic, that's uh, nearsighted for you non-scientist types, uh, <laughs> non-nerd ducks, uh, because I'm so myopic, my pupils never undilate beyond a certain point, and I get headaches in sunlight. The last flipping thing I want is more daylight. <laughs> okay, so from a totally self-centered uh, perspective, this is a very freaking bad idea. But psychologically speaking, taking my you know narcissistic self-focus out of the picture. <laughs> Um, it's a very, it's not a good thing for a lot of people. And as you mentioned, 
uh, some of the depression uh, stuff, uh, some of the bipolar stuff, the sleep disorder stuff, definitely. Uh, it just It's just not a good thing. And uh, I don't know who thought this was going to be a good thing, but uh, it's not such a good thing. And, and I think that they had whoever thought this up probably had good intentions and, and didn't have a lot of research data to back it up, like a lot of stuff that happens, you know, from day one. But so I would I would certainly vote for the elimination of this and going back to standard time and just staying on standard time. And it's bad enough given the fact that, you know, as you know, um, sometime this year I'm going to be relocating to another time zone. Well, let me oh, tell you how much fun, fun that's. <laughs> oh, my, yeah, three hours difference? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Is it, Are you guys in PSP out there? Uh, they do. I, I thought you were in Mountain Time. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, no, oh, that's going to make our show well, fun. So what happens is if... <laughs> Yeah, if you look at the state of I, and I don't know who gerrymandered these time zones, but that's another person who probably ought to be, you know, dug out of the grave and drawn and quartered in public square at high noon. Um, <laughs> half of the state of Idaho is in one time zone, and the other half of the state of Idaho is in another time zone. Okay, I didn't imagine it. I was trying to figure out how you guys were on Pacific time. It's because part of you is on Pacific time. Right. So if you look at the southern, yes. So if you look at the southern part of the state where the state capital is Boise, right, mm-hmm. that's on – that's two hours behind us. Okay. But if you look at the part of the state that's just below – where, if you take a line and draw a line from Spokane across the state, if you go like maybe an hour south of that line, everything from that up in the skinny part of the state that the locals call the peninsula, that's oh, on yeah. – yeah, that's on the three hours behind, and that's oh, where I'm relocating to. So gotcha. that's – that's would be like me moving to Oregon or, or Washington State or California. It's a three-hour dilly. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you when I've gone there to visit, it's been a very interesting thing. It's easier for some stupid reason. My body adjusts easier going there than it does coming back. Um, oh, you're just weird. It, yeah, you know, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm weird, so this is a, yeah. this is a surprise to anyone why. <laughs> you know? God, but God, uh, yeah, but when I go out there, it's it's. I mean, it's weird, but it's not as devastating as coming back. Um, and it's kind of like when I went to Europe uh, many years ago, and and they are really, you know, there's like a six to seven hour difference depending on where you go. Um, and the first week I was there, you know, my body was like, cause I was there for three weeks at one point. And the first week I was there, my body was like, Oh, we get to go to bed at a reasonable time now. And by the end of the first week, my clock goes, no, we know what you're doing. Uh, uh-uh. uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of the second week, I was staying up all night. Like I do here. Uh, despite the fact it's a six-hour, seven-hour difference, that I'm like, God darn it. Because I was joking with people I was staying with, and I said, well, shit, I just need to move to France, or I just need to move to England, or I just need to move to Copenhagen or Prague, and I'll be fine. I go to bed at 11 and get up like a real person. But no, <laughs> that didn't last very long. Oh, so it's God. Yeah, it's funny. So, when you, you know, yeah. and that's what happened when I went to Sandpoint. You know, I went out there, and... My body didn't have time enough to figure out I was mucking with it. So the first week, um, and I've never been more than a week there, so I'll stay there for a week. And by the end of the week, my, body, my brain and body are kind of going, uh, wait a minute, 
And, but about that time, I fly back here, and then it's just, oh, my God, is it bad for like three weeks. It's bad, bad. Uh, See, that's so proof I, of the concept I've been pointing at the whole show. It's, it's like it's not yeah, as simple really, as and, just – And I say that with all sincerity. Yeah. It's not just me being a whiner. I mean, uh, or as I tell some of my folks, I've got some cheese to go with that wine. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was – I mean, it, it really – it dysregulates me for a long time, and what I've learned to do is if I have to do those kinds of things, then when I come back, I set up my uh, patient schedule so that I'm not, you know, dealing with new patients or I'm not dealing with really, really difficult cases unless I have to so that my brain can be operating at half speed and not feel like I'm shortchanging somebody, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And no, I can work normal sense. stuff. I mean, if I have to do really complicated what what for my brain is really complicated stuff, you know, very, and, you know, because I tend to see very complex cases. And if I get a new diagnostic case in and I'm having to do the testing and all this kind of stuff, uh, I don't schedule those when I come back from one of these trips. It's just not, it's yeah. not fair to the person, not fair to my brain. It's just, you know, they're paying for full services, not a two-thirds brain kind of going, what, what? <laughs> so I, uh, it, it, it's disruptive. I mean, it really, I, I'm not joking. It's really, I mean, I, I joke yeah. about it, but that's really not a joke. It's, it's incredibly disruptive. Uh, and then I have to schedule an extra time for me to just kind of veg and take, you know, t- which I almost never do is take naps. And, and it's just like, oh, my God. So it it is, in some cases, it's taken me almost a month to get, to get back on my, you know, dysregulated schedule, yeah. <laughs> my normal dysregulated schedule. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm looking forward to to moving there and not having to come back <laughs> and, and deal with this dodge <laughs> And I don't and not that I hate Atlanta or the East Coast because you know I don't. But it's just like man, this time thing is just like whoa, my God, it's annoying. So yeah, it's uh, you know, and I I really I feel really bad for my folks that I work with who have I mean because some of the folks I work with have ADHD and sleep disorders and or, and or anxiety and depression and sleep disorders. And it's like, holy moly, you know, you, you folks must be just like dying when you have to change sleep, when you have to change time zones and then come back. And a couple of my people do a lot of traveling for work and they're all over the place. And I, and I, and I said to a couple of them, how the hell do you do this? And they say, well, you know, we're constantly, you know, behind the times we constantly have to do power drinks in the morning and, you know, and do a lot of herbal teas at night and all this crazy stuff. And sometimes I take over the counter sleep aids and I'm just like, Oh my God. I mean, I could, I couldn't yeah. do it. My, my hat's really and, off to some of those people. And that's all, that's a perfect example of the entire core of what we're saying. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just the, the social commentary or the politics behind it. It's, this the one way is based on science and as you're demonstrating the body doesn't give a damn what law you pass the sun is doing <laughs> xyz and when it figures out that the sun changed it's going to go there where the sun is going and making it a different time zone isn't going to change that the body's just going to adjust because that's what it naturally mm-hmm. wants to do that's correct well it's like i tell people you can't muck with mother nature because she mucks back <laughs> You know? Yes, she does. 
you know, it's the same thing with the cli- <laughs> it's the same thing with our climate change. You can't pollute the water and you can't pollute the air and you can't deforest the Amazon and expect you know expect the climate not to change. I mean, come on, people. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's uh, this is yet another example of a bad idea. So I would be. I know there's a lot of people talking about moving it back to a standardized DLA. I really really hope that happens because it is just not fun. Yeah, I think the only well, state that doesn't have it is Arizona and Hawaii. They're the other one that doesn't have it. Yeah. And there's a lot of states also that are split. Like some of the state is one and some, like Idaho is not the only one that does that. And it, and it was done by vote. And I don't know why. And I guess that's part of why I chose this topic for tonight, because I'm hoping we can, educate our listeners about the reality of this decision and not just what they see on the internet and the news feed or whatever people are, right. you know, everybody, I think everyone's in agreement that we're getting a little sick and tired of the switching back and forth, but I don't think people realize the science says this is actually really bad shit and we should stop doing it. Yeah. You're paying and, a price for it. Yeah. Yes. And I would say so, this, you know, even, even if, which it's not, as you pointed out earlier, even if it were the biggest boon on the planet to every business in existence, you can't buy more time on the planet. You know, if you muck up your health, you're paying for the money you get in, but you're shortening your lifespan. You're messing with your brain's efficiency. You're screwing up your biochemical regulation of your organs and muscles. And I mean, what's that worth to you? You know? It's, yeah. it's, even if it was you can't patronize the business boom. if you kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So so that's the thing I really hope that our listeners will take away from this tonight is that it really isn't just, you know, comparing two similar things as much as it seems like. One of them is completely made up and the reasons that people said they made them up are completely false. And the other one was determined by science. And the earth is going to do it, whatever law we pass or whatever we do or don't do. It's going to happen because the sun's just doing its thing. Didn't ask our permission, doesn't need it. Yep, that's correct. Yes, ma'am. We have have explained well enough. I'm, I'm kind of hoping maybe this will translate into political stuff, but we're not here to really talk about that. But hopefully you guys get the science behind why I've said what I said. Because it's not, I'm not using the show as a political platform. These, this is the hard data that exists, and it's repeatable. It, it can be done anywhere in the world. So, same. If you want to run down to Australia, if you want to go over to Europe, go down to South America, they're all going to have the exact same thing going on. I can attest to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you've run around to quite a few of those places, so you, I'm sure you know damn well. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you stay more than a couple of days, it's your body just keeps going back to what it's used to doing. And it's like, you know, exactly. yeah. Now, and maybe so, the listeners will, you know, take some of this data and talk to the legislators and go, uh, we need to get rid of this crap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. I, I'm hoping they do because we're actually we're going too far down the path the other way. Is they're trying to make it permanent, and I'm like, no, no, opposite, opposite. Yeah, flip yeah. it. 
So we'll see how that goes, but uh, I hope you guys understand why we're saying this. And from a mental health standpoint and physiological standpoint that affects your mental health, um, yep. this is a very, very bad idea, and these are the reasons. I've got studies and I've got links and stuff, but I don't want to sit here and read to you guys all night from a journal. I mean, just take my word for it. Uh, if you need the science, I've got it in my notes. Just message us on the Facebook page, and I'll give them to you if you want them. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, you know, with that, uh, it's a little bit early, but that's fine. It's close to the top of the hour. So in closing, we definitely concur from a mental health standpoint that changing time zones at all is unhealthy and needs to stop. And the science strongly indicates that permanent DST would be disastrous because it forces an increase in deviating from what our bodies naturally want to be doing for our own health. And so in summary, we hope that our listeners better understand about daylight saving time and its effect on us, psychologically speaking. And we hope this will help our listeners to understand what happens to them and how best to mitigate it. Um, I'm going to check in with you one last time. Is there anything else on this that you want to get out of the way before we wrap up? Nope, I'm good. Thank you. All righty. So on behalf of myself, Dr. Mathis, and NDB Media, we want to thank our listeners this evening and give our appreciation to those of you who might be joining us later via podcast, iTunes, etc. And I have found out, actually, I'm going to add this to my notes, that we are also being carried on Spotify. And I know we were all fussing because of Joe Rogan or something like that, but that's fine. I'll take it because that's easier to use. I don't like iTunes. <laughs> they mess with my library too much. They're like, oh, that original song your friend wrote, I don't have a license for that, so we're getting that out of your MP3 player. And I'm like, eh. So these are all the places you can hear us, and we'll see you guys in two weeks with a new topic for discussion, Wednesday, March 30th. 2022 at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Eastern Daylight Saving Time for right now, right here on <laughs> blogtalkradio.com. We also want to give a shout-out to other NDB Media shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. Travelage Radio is tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Travelage Radio heads to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, on Thursday, March 17th. Oh, yes, happy St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. Uh, it's not St. Patty's Day, it's Patty's Day. Thank you. An interview with Julie Ellis of Visit Myrtle Beach. During her live half-hour broadcast, she'll tell Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent Lee about the resort community, which has everything from history and art museums to 100 golf courses, 60 miles of beaches, amusements, shows, and 1,800 restaurants. And none of this is near me at all. I'm so sad. Okay. Sports Talk with the Guys, Saturday morning extravaganza, 9 a.m. Eastern Time this Saturday. The Monday morning quarterbacks are live on Saturday morning on StreamYard. Check the NDB Media page on Facebook for links and times. All righty. Um, next, Sunday the 20th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Walking Dead online viewing party returns this Sunday, March 20th, with Season 11, Episode 13, Warlords. Synopsis, Maggie, Lydia, and Elijah help a stranger from another community called Riverbend. They run into Aaron, who tells them about a mission he embarked on with Gabriel as emissaries for the Commonwealth. Actor Michael Bain appears as a new character. Monday Night in America with Roger Noriega, 
10 p.m., Roger D. Noriega brings you his unique take on politics, current events, entertainment, sci-fi, and history, currently also hosted on StreamYard. Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Fandom Access Week in Review. Join the TV tantrum of Jamie, Karen, and AJ as they digest another night of TV. Please look for the Rock and Roll Shrink on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, and on the web at www.rockandrollshrink.com. Good night, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you next time. Rock on. Good night. (laughs) 